Would you turn with me in your Bibles to today's reading in in Luke? There's two readings today. Luke chapter 2, verses 42 to 44, and Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. So Luke chapter 2, verses 42 to 44. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. And Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. As Luke comes, may we all listen to what he has to say to us and through him, may we hear God's voice. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Luke Chanter. My wife and I have only been in your church for a, for a short period of time. Uh, so some of you are probably wondering who the heck is this guy uh, on our stage. Um, so I thought I might, Pete just asked me to tell you a little bit about, um, about us before I kick off this morning. So Natasha and I are about to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary in only a few weeks. Um, don't clap yet, we haven't made it. There's still about eight weeks to go, so there's still time for her to realise her mistake. Um, so, uh, we're both pastor's kids. Um, I, I grew up actually living on a Bible college. Is there more of a pastor's kid than you can possibly have than actually living physically on a Bible college property? So, my father started uh, Tabor Bible College, who some of you may have, may have heard of Tabor, and I actually grew up living on the property. And uh, Natasha's parents are uniting church ministers, so we've been in and around church our, our whole lives. And then, as, uh, as adults, um, we... Uh, got into ministry ourselves, we've been youth pastors a couple of times, um, different churches, different states, we've lived in three different states, we've, we've travelled around, um, I was on Christian radio for a little while, I was a Sunday night host in the, on Life FM in Adelaide for a while, um, what else have we done, we ran camps for pastors kids for a while, who'd like to take 40 pastors kids away for a weekend by themselves, anybody? Uh, so, <laughs> so Tasha and I did that for a little while, I was the state... Um, a director for the Alpha course in South Australia um, for a while, and I have spent a short amount of time in prison. I was there to run the prison Alpha course, and they did let me out that afternoon. <laughs> um, but I was in prison for about three and a half hours once. Uh, I had a tour through the maximum security prison in Adelaide, and for a good little Christian boy like me, that was well and truly enough for three and a half hours in jail. It was about it was about all I could handle, I think. So that's a bit of a background, um, bit of a background on us. Uh, before I start this morning, I do just want to thank you as a, as a community. Um, you've got a really unique church here. I don't know if you realise that, but 
we've, this is now, Tasha and I were working it out. This is our, our 13th church we've attended because we've moved around with our parents and in our own ministry. And I can absolutely say, and I don't just say this to butter you up, we have never been in a church as welcoming and as friendly as you guys are. Um, without it, I'm not just, we, <laughs> we visited a bunch of different churches when we were looking. We finished up as youth pastors last year and um, we were looking for a, a new church and we couldn't decide how we would do this, how we would look for a church. And so we decided not to look at the, the brand name. Um, we didn't care what denomination it was. We decided we'd go to a church where we found Jesus. And the, um, the first Sunday we walked in the door, Crash was on the door. Uh, where is Crash? was on the door. And he just made us feel welcome the second we walked in. We hadn't even got in the, in the front. We actually were late in the service because so many people stopped us on the way in to talk to us. Uh, it was a really unique experience. For those of you who've been in this church for a long time, you probably don't realise how lucky you are, but you've got a really unique church here. And uh, there was one Sunday we were trying to leave because we had something on and we couldn't leave. We couldn't get out of the place. So many people were talking to us. So... Um, even this morning when we got here, I got here early, all the band had parked over there. So the car parks near the door were free for people coming to church and for new people. And it's just, okay, I'm stopping now. But it, you've got a great church. Okay. So, so my background is um, Pentecostal background. So you'll have to excuse me a little bit this morning. But if, if you've always wanted to bust out an amen or a praise the Lord, today is your day. Uh, they... You, you won't, you won't even be judged by people because they'll think you're just supporting me, all right? So uh, like, you won't get the Baptist glaring at you. They'll, be, they'll think you're just helping Luke out. So if you've been sitting there for 20 years and you've always wanted to bust one out, today, today is the day. So we are in a series on, on relationships. And my whole message this morning is on, is on one idea that that we have done uh, in our family that has, I believe, contributed significantly to the fact that I've got two adults, nearly a third adult, and a, a young teenager who are all committed in, their, committed in their faith. It's an idea that affects grandparents, parents, young adults, kids, everybody. But before we get stuck in, I just want to briefly acknowledge that when we're talking about parenting, there's, there's going to be a variety of parenting experiences in the room, and some of those uh, are going to be positive and some of those uh, are going to be a negative. There's no doubt parents who've had difficulties with their kids and I want to be sensitive to that this morning and believe for breakthrough in your lives with your kids if that's you uh, and I'd be, love to pray with you at the end of the service if, if that's something you'd, you'd like. So why don't we pray before we start. Lord I thank you for this church, thank you for the amazing community that it is, for the people that are here, for the welcoming nature. As we talk about family life and talk about parenting this morning, uh, help me to do so clearly and help us to make a change to the, to the kids' lives in this church. Amen. So in 1913, there was a guy called William Klan, C-L-A-N-N, and he was visiting the Swift Company Slaughterhouse in Chicago, what we would term an abattoir today. Just bear with me, there is a point to an abattoir analogy. And he was looking at the disassembly line, and excuse the, the, the graphicness for a second, but the disassembly line where the sort of animal came in one end and they used every part of the animal going through, coming out the other end. And he was really impressed by the efficiency of this whole process. And he had an idea, and it sparked an idea, and he went back to his boss, a guy called Peter E. Martin. And he went back to Peter Martin, he said, I've got this great idea for our company, we should do it. 
Peter didn't really think it was such a great idea, but he thought he'd present it to his bosses, then he could take credit if it was a good one and ignore it if it was a bad one. So I don't know how they did presentations back then. It probably wasn't with PowerPoint, but, um, but Peter and, and William Klein got together to take this idea to, to their bosses. And they presented this idea and they really liked it. And the idea was for an assembly line rather than a disassembly line. And they presented it to their boss, a guy by the name of Henry Ford. And they invented the assembly line. And that's affected manufacturing around the world, as, as we know it. Anyone who builds anything now does it on an assembly line. And if you think about it, our church is a bit like an assembly line for our kids. When we start them out there in, in Christ, the, the, uh, the kids are out there and they don't really understand anything yet, but they start to hear the word of God and they start to hear our praise and they start to, to imbibe some of, the, some of the word of God over their lives and we, we're putting the, the basics of this chassis together as they, as they start out there in, in creation. As they get into C for K, into Sumo, we, we start to put a bit more of this car together and we, we're putting some of the panels on and a bit of the engine block starts to go in. And as they move through church life, we start to put this car better and better together. And if those of you, some of you in the room know assembly lines better than I do, and I'm stuffing this up, I'm way too far into this analogy to stop now, so please forgive me. And as we get into to youth ministry, Jordan starts to get hold of them, and the, and the whole thing comes together. The, the bright, shiny panels go on, and the nice leather steering wheel goes on. And by the time Jordan's finished with them, we push this, this brand new, shiny red sports car out the front door of the church. And at 18 years old, they move on to take on the world. But our production line's broken. Because only 50% in the Western church. 50% of our teenagers are going to walk out that front door at 18 years old and we're never going to see them again. Imagine if William Klein's idea to Henry Ford was that 50% would be a success and 50% would be rubbish and not work of the vehicles they turned out. I don't reckon they would have got that idea off the ground if it was at a 50% success rate. But not only that, imagine if they started a 50% success rate and then kept going and never changed anything. You just kept on plowing on at 50% success. It's just not good enough. Our production line is broken. It's been broken for generations. And in the Western church, we're just not changing to deal with it. And please understand, I mean no criticism of the youth ministry and the children's ministry in this church. The people I've met so far have been amazing, committed, godly people, and I'm certainly not criticizing them in any way. But this is globally recognized research around the Western church. We're losing 50% of our kids. We're not doing anything. We're just plowing on with the same programs and the same way of doing it. And if we don't change something, in generations' time, people are going to look back and go, How did you let that happen? How did you not make a change? Why did you continue to let generation after generation walk out your door and do nothing about it? If we change nothing, nothing changes. There's so many of our churches in, in Western society are full of people with, with grey hair nowadays and mine's heading in that direction. Uh, can't see because it's blonde, but it's getting there. But our churches are full of people with, with, with grey hair and, and this church is doing really well. I was talking to, to my family as I saw all the kids walk out and go, look how many of them there are. 
we're doing well here, but so many of our churches are just full of people with grey hair. In another 50 years, they simply won't exist. We see in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So we need to start our kids off in the right way. And if we're going to do that, we've got to reimagine a few things. I've been in and around youth ministry for, for most of the 25 years Tasha and I have, have been together, and we, we've got to change some of the things that we're doing. And you might say, Luke, we do heaps better than that in our church. We're easily getting 60 or 70% of our teenagers staying. And if you are, that's awesome, but what about the rest? What about the ones that are still leaving? 50% is not good enough. If you say we're getting 60% or 70%, that's great, but we're still losing 40% or 30%, and it's just not okay. The parable we read earlier from Luke chapter 15. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, i found my lost sheep. This is a parallel about one. We're talking about a lot more than one. So today is all about one idea we have for your family. And Natasha, my amazing wife, started thinking about an idea a while ago. Who knows that? saying behind every great man is a, a really surprised mother-in-law. That's right. Um, so my, my brother-in-law's not here, so I can say what I like. Um, so Natasha started thinking about an idea when our kids were, were really little. And she realized a couple of things. She realized, firstly, that the church would not always be enough for our kids. The church would, on occasion, fail them. The youth pastor would, on occasion. I've had the privilege of spending some time with Jordan. He's a great guy. We hung out and had coffee a couple of weeks back and we were supposed to go for about half an hour. We were there for an hour and a half or so. And I had a great chat to him. He's a great guy. But on occasions, he's going to let your kids down because he's human. And he would. Sorry, Jordan. And the more we realized it, the more we realized that Natasha was right. We needed to do something. And our kids needed other people too. Because we realized, secondly, that we wouldn't always be enough for our kids. I was reminded of this recently. My daughter, Keely, who's not here. Most of my family's here this morning. We've even got a ring in. Um, but my daughter, Keely, uh, Keely... Um, speaks the second a thought comes into her mind. Sometimes I was talking with her about this, and I do have her permission to say this. Um, we agreed that sometimes the thought comes out before it's actually got into her mind. Um, we, were, we were talking with Keely at the dining room table um, a couple of weeks ago, and as an aside, if your family's got away from the dining room table and you spend your nights sitting in front of the telly, um, and you got, or you've got your mobile phones out around the table, put them away. Sit around the table and have dinner as a family 
We've, had, we've laughed and cried and argued and had crazy games nights and get your family back around your dining room table if you've got away from that. Anyway, I was talking to Keely and in a very, it was a constructive sort of conversation. Keely started to remind me of times I had let her down. Isn't that a happy conversation for parents? <laughs> and she just started telling some stories of times where where perhaps I got angry a bit too quickly or, or times where I hadn't been the person she, she needed me to be. And I'm thankful there weren't many stories, but there were enough. There were enough that I felt sad for the next couple of days about the times I hadn't been the godly parent that I really should have been. So we decided... We needed to specifically and really deliberately widen the circle of influence in our kids' lives. Because the people that were in it and the church leadership were not going to be everything that we needed to be. So in a very sort of tribal way, we created a virtual village around our kids. So why is this relevant to everybody in the church? It's relevant because we all need to be a part of this virtual village around our young people. It's all, we all are a part of it. Seeing as if you've been in this church for, for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I don't know who's been here that long, but if you've been in this church a long time, maybe it's time to invest some of your wealth of experience and knowledge into some of the younger people. Maybe it's time. If you're in middle-aged, if you're in your 40s like I am, I'm sorry you're middle-aged. It's time to own up to it. I have my tablet on a large font this morning. I'm getting old. My kids remind me. Maybe it's time you can help families of other people. You can help parents and their children. And younger people, you absolutely have a role in this as well. And we can see that in the story we read this morning that Jesus' family was clearly a part of a community where everybody was involved in their kids. That story we read, Mary and Joseph didn't know where Jesus was for an entire day and he was 12 years old. When my kids were 12 years old, Natasha and I didn't go through an hour where we didn't know where our children were, particularly when we were on holidays, when you're in a campsite or when you're travelling. They didn't know where Jesus was for an entire day. So clearly they were involved in a community of people that all were involved in looking after their kids. They had to be. So here's what we did. We instituted a modern sort of coming of age or rite of passage ritual in our family. Tribal groups the world over have this sort of thing. You, you can see it all the time on any National Geographic show. There's, there's these rituals and, and things around what happens when kids turn 13. And the closest we have is maybe a 16th or 18th birthday party where, where kids might have a bit too much to drink. We wanted something different for our kids. So when our kids turned 13, we took them away for a weekend with every adult member of the same sex. So when my son, he's the oldest in our family, uh, so he was, he was our guinea pig. Um, so when he turned 13, we went away with both his grandfathers, uh, a couple of uncles, and a couple of close male friends who were sort of adopted into our family. And we went away for the weekend. And we had a great time. We did everything Wyatt wanted to do. We went on a fishing charter. He caught the biggest fish. 
It got away right as we were pulling it into the boat. He's still unhappy about that. He's 21. He's still unhappy about that. <laughs> so unhappy, he said. Um, we played football and we played cricket and we, we just had a weekend investing into Wyatt's life. And on the Saturday night, we presented Wyatt with this book. And I'd asked every man that came along that weekend to write a one-sentence life lesson, the most important thing they could think of to convey to Wyatt in one sentence. And then at the bottom of it, I put their name and phone number. And the slide that's about to come up was my slide in Wyatt's book. No matter what the problem, Jesus is always the answer. And then my phone number at the bottom, which you've all now got. <laughs> I contemplated blocking that out and I thought, nah, I can trust you. Uh, so there was a bunch of others in there as well and all the sort of most significant life lessons from these men. And we prayed with Wyatt and then every man in the room committed to be a part of Wyatt's life throughout his teenage years. We said, we're going to stand with you and we're going to be there no matter what. And I did that because I knew there were times he might not be able to talk to me. Maybe he was upset at me. Maybe I was just away from work. Maybe I just wasn't physically present and he needed to talk to someone. What's the alternative? He can go to his friends at school and get poor advice, or he can go to these men I've deliberately and specifically invited into his life. And I know through Wyatt's teenage years, he's used that book on two or three occasions. And once I know what it was about, and the other times I don't. And I've never asked, and I won't, because that's the point. For whatever reason, at those times, he couldn't talk to me, but I had specifically invited people in his life that he could talk to in a really deliberate fashion. So I'm aware that everyone and every family here will perhaps not have as wide a Christian family as we did. And that's where the church community comes into it. So if you are someone who could invest into a young person's life in the church and you've got that time and you've got that energy and you can see the benefits of what I'm talking about, then we'd love to connect you together and um, if that's you and you want to invest in someone's life, have a chat to Peter after the service and we'll try and do a little date matchmaking service with families and older people and, and put you all together. So I'm going to get um, my wife Natasha to come up and talk for a little bit about the girls' weekends because it's secret women's business and I don't know what happened. So... Tasha's going to come up and talk for just a little bit, given that the idea was actually hers in the first place. Uh, and she's just going to talk about what happened on the girls' weekends and, and what it meant to them. Um, mad Pentecostals, hey? <laughs> um, yeah, so as Luke said, um, I had for quite some time been looking into the various tribal and cultural traditions from around the world um, regarding coming, coming of age and just to see what we could use um, for our own children as they made that transition from child to teenager so that it would be something positive um, that they would look forward to, that we would look forward to, uh, rather than it being something that was negative, which often people speak very negative things over teenagers and what those years will be like for us as parents, um, and so on. So uh, around this time, I uh, went to visit a new birthing client of mine, and while I was with them, her partner was very busy 
um, packing his little bag and was apologetic that he couldn't sit down and focus, but he was going away for the weekend with his brothers and his nephew, who had just turned 13, um, which was a, a long-standing family tradition that they had where all the men would go bush and um, sort of welcome this new teen into manhood. This was the light bulb moment for me where I went, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to put it together. Um, so we, as Luke said, we decided to have the 13th birthday weekend away. Um, we would spend time doing something enjoyable together um, as a group and then have a formal event to recognise and celebrate the child uh, leaving behind their childhood and moving into their teen years. So a rite of passage has three separate components to it. The first is separation, where the person is taken away from what is familiar and placed in a new environment. The second is uh, transition, where they learn about the new stage that they're entering. And in tribal societies, they undergo a test or a challenge to demonstrate their worthiness. Um, there's some fascinating tests and challenges that are out there, one being the bull ant gloves. So <laughs> worth looking up if you're interested in that. Um, the third is incorporation, where they're formally admitted into their new role. These rites of passage uh, serve to strengthen not just the individual, but also the community um, as a whole. Choosing who is invited along for the weekend um, was something that we did in conjunction um, with each child. Our basic criteria was that they needed to be a Christian, first and foremost. Um, but the question that we're asking of the child looking at this is not who they like, but is this person wise and trustworthy? Can I, as a parent, trust that what they will say will honour what we're teaching them and not undermine us, particularly in regards to our faith. Um, this is a really important conversation because it provides an opportunity to teach a child how to assess who is somebody that is trustworthy, opposed to somebody who is a nice person, but not someone that you would actually go to for advice. Um, so our weekends away followed the same basic pattern for everyone. Uh, on the Friday, uh, we would arrive at the holiday house, settle in, have dinner, play games. This is the separation uh, part. So the child's taken away from their home environment and they, along with the adults, are placed in a new environment for the specific purpose of marking this milestone. On the Saturday, we spend that doing an activity or two that's chosen by the child. So we've done everything from horse riding to hot springs to manicures to um, yabbying and a mystery picnic and lots of different things. It's been really fun. Um, and after dinner on the Saturday night, we gather for the formal part of the weekend. So this is the transition um, part. Um, during the day on the Saturday, is the opportunity for each adult to have one-on-one -on -one time with um, that child to listen to them, encourage them, question them, um, and give them something to think about um, while doing something fun and enjoyable together. 
um, it's an opportunity for the child to really observe how adults interact with one another um, and learn about what it is to be a woman or what it is to be a man. And believe me, in this, um, in this situation, they are really paying close attention to everything um, that we say and do. And we are effectively laying down a blueprint for them. Um, so we need to be very aware of just how powerful an influence we can be. Uh, several months prior to the weekend, um, I'd sent an invitation to everyone detailing what we were doing and why. Um, and I did with Tia initially, as Luke said, he asked everyone for one sentence. Um, I did ask the ladies initially for one sentence. We got a book. <laughs> so everybody sent a full letter um, for each, each child. So I put that together in a book with photographs of them with that particular person and so on. Um, and that was presented to them on the night. Um, I also asked each woman to purchase a Pandora bead that represented something specific they wanted to share with that child. Um, I wanted to do this so that they would have something physical and tangible that would remind them as they grew that they had this tribe of women committed to loving and supporting them. Um, on the night, I you know, began by sharing um, with a particular daughter uh, what we were doing and why, and that each of these women had committed to be there for her whenever she needed. So that, like Luke said, if she didn't want to talk to either of us um, or just simply wanted a different perspective, these women were all available for her. Um, and we didn't need to know what it was about. Um, I then presented her with the Pandora bracelet and the bead I'd chosen and shared um, why I had chosen it and what I wanted her to remember each time she looked at it. So this is cue for me to get really emotional and teary every time, which would then set everybody else off. There was always a big box of tissues. <laughs> um, and yes, I'd then present her with her book. Um, that had everybody's letters in it, including letters from some people who weren't able to make it for the weekend but still wanted to be involved and part of her life. Um, we then went around the circle and each person presented their bead and shared with her what God had put on their heart specifically for her. And then we gathered around, um, laid hands on her and prayed for her. What was really incredible um, on each occasion was that a very specific theme emerged um, and was clear that God had been speaking to each one of the women about that particular girl and that he had a message for her that he wanted her to know. Um, for one of my girls, the theme was of strength and seeing things from a different perspective, not being afraid to go against the flow. For one of my nieces, it was a message of courage and stepping out into the unknown. Each time it was something quite unique to that child. Um, and given that 
um, in each case, a group of women were made up of people that often lived in different states or had not met prior to that weekend, that made it all the more powerful. For each of the children, we saw a really significant shift in them from that weekend. They appeared to grow up almost overnight and they stepped into their teen years with a confidence that was just beautiful to see. This is the incorporation um, stage where each girl or boy shifts from being the child that they were prior to the weekend and moves into their teens and towards adulthood from that weekend forward. Uh, I remember um, later on a Saturday evening with one of my daughters, um, she took herself upstairs just to have some time by herself and process what had happened, read her book, um, and I heard her on the phone to her younger sister and she was describing what we'd done and what had happened. And clearly her sister had expressed that she wished she was there. And um, my daughter said, no, you're too young. This is a women's weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I really loved that she felt that sense of belonging, of moving from her childhood into womanhood and becoming part of that tribe with us. Um, and for each of the children in our family, in our extended family, their 13th birthday weekend has become a significant part of our family tradition. So much so that my 10-year-old niece uh, recently wrote about her weekend, which will happen in 2021, um, for a school project on family. And her teacher actually sent a message to my sister saying, you had better do this. She is really invested in this weekend. Um, we don't know what our kids are going to face during their teen years, but we can choose to set the foundations for them so that they can navigate whatever comes their way, knowing that they are loved and knowing that they have a tribe of women or men supporting them and loving them every step of the way. I thought what might be useful, I'm aware we're already perhaps going, gone a little while, but I thought what would be useful this morning too was actually to get one of my kids to tell you what the weekend meant, meant to them. So, um, so I've asked my son uh, Wyatt, come on, um, asked my son Wyatt to, to come up. The, the book we gave Wyatt, he's 21 uh, now, the book we gave him eight years ago is still on his desk in his, in his room um, and he went to it this week to speak to someone, I believe. Anyway, over to you. Yeah, I only actually found out this last week, though, that I was the only one as the guinea pig that didn't get a present on my weekend. So, actually, that was yesterday. So, putting that out there from the platform, I'm ready. Um, I'm actually not going to speak about the weekend itself. Though. I'm just going to speak about what it meant to me and what it did for me over my teenage years, uh, leading on afterwards. You know, we, you know, now I'm the third person. It's clearly a family, family thing now. Um, but we really believe in this weekend and what it can do for every individual and every um, young person that goes on it. Uh, yeah, being the first, uh, it, was, it was fun. It was a really good weekend. And at the time, I just thought it was really awesome to do whatever the heck I wanted for an entire weekend and, and just, yeah, have, every, what, five, six people at my beck and call. That was, that was pretty fun. Um, but it was only afterwards that I started to realise the confidence that that weekend gave me. Uh, it was... You know, at school when people would throw insults at you or, you know, say nobody cares for you, nobody likes you, that sort of stuff. All of a sudden they meant nothing to me because every night I'd go home and there was this little book right next to my bed that told me otherwise. Um, so these insults just no longer, 
yeah, no longer held anything on me. And I was able to, to, to grow in confidence, grow in strength, um, chase God and chase my relationship with him and uh, have people around me that I knew were there for me uh, every step of the way. You know, I've used the book, as Dad said, on a number of occasions. Some of them he knows about, some of them he doesn't. Um, majority of the time, it has simply been because I felt that somebody else in that group had a better understanding of a situation or had experienced something that I wanted to uh, get their knowledge on. When you reflect back on the weekend, you, I start to look over the last eight years since that weekend and how much it meant to me and how it shaped me and changed me. It's, it's really then that you start to, to realize how important it was. Uh, at the moment, yeah, you just, you just think it's a cool weekend and you're excited for it, but uh, you don't understand the significance it's actually going to have for you. Now, being 21, I have two, I've been, there's got three younger male cousins. Uh, two of them have asked me to be on that weekend as one of the adults. And I have another, another family friend who has also asked me. And the privilege and the honour that that has been to be there for those people and to say, yeah, I'm, I'm here for you, I believe in you, and if you ever need me, um, I'm one call away, has been something that I'll never take for granted and something that I'm, I'm so proud of. Um, each of those boys I'm so proud of. And, yeah, to be asked to be one of those people in their lives is incredible. I'm going to finish with this. I'm not going to take too much time. But it's not, this weekend isn't because my parents haven't been good people. It's not because we don't, yeah. <laughs> I've still got the microphone. Be careful. <laughs> it's not because that they're not there for me or I don't have a great relationship with my dad. I do. And he's, um, now as I'm becoming more of an adult, our friendship is developing over, over the fatherhood side of it. But it's because... It's just the humility in the action of, yeah, I understand that I'm not always going to do, be perfect and I'm, always gonna, I'm not going not gonna to always going to be right, but there's other people in your life that can and I think um, that's incredibly significant and it's also, that is also a message that is really important for young people to hear that your parents aren't perfect and that you do have other people that are going to be there for you when, when that happens because it shows you that as well you're not perfect and you need other people in your community. So you've seen a bit of the benefits in, in my, my family. We've um, got 12 children, on 12 sort of grandkids on, that, on Tasha's side of the family. We've done 11 weekends in that family now. And an ex, sort of everybody we know and we talk to about it uh, has implemented this. And I'm aware, I think I tried to count up the other day, I'm aware of somewhere around the mid-20s of these weekends that have happened now because of the idea um, Tash had all those, all those years ago. So if you are, if we can get the band up, um, if you are a, uh, a parent of young children, you can see the benefit this has had in my family's life. And if you're an older person and you can see yourself getting involved in something like this, then, then come and have a chat to some of the pastors and, and see if we can change some of the lives in our, in our community. Because if we change nothing, nothing changes. If we do nothing about the 50% of children that walk out the front door of that church, then in another generation or two, the Western church is going to be largely gone. It just will. It's going to slowly die away because there'll be no one left in the church without grey hair. We have to make a change. We have to do something different. Consider the stakes we're dealing with. We're talking not just about the health of our church, we're talking about the eternal salvation of our young people. 
We can't let that slide. We can't. Natasha and I would love to, to talk to any parents that are, that would like to hear a bit more about this. Three of my kids are here and, and they're willing to have a chat to you too about their weekends and, and what it meant. And if you're a parent of, of kids and you'd just like someone to sit down and, and pray with you, then I'd love to do that too and just believe for your family and, and, your, and your life. I just want our kids to love Jesus. Your kids, my kids. I just want them all to love Jesus. Let's do what we can to make that happen.